Ladies and gentlemen, drivers, gig workers, and everyone in between, welcome to This Week in Rideshare Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Hoffa. It is Friday, June 23rd, and this week, questions on how Uber screens drivers, teens get access in Atlanta, and gig companies complain about pay. Legal Rideshare breaks it down. And from Legal Rideshare, I'm joined by the co-founder and lead attorney, Brian Greening. Brian, happy Friday. Happy Friday, Jared. Great to be back for another week. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're back. To the, we're going OG here. No guests this week. Straight back to the podcast. But it feels good to go back to the basics. It, it does. I, I don't think we're slacking. I think we're just giving the people what they want. Exactly. It's perfect. Uh, so we're going to hit it off here. We're going to start with Monday. Um, now, this is a lawsuit in Florida, which raises questions on how Uber screens its drivers. Now, this is from ABC Action News, and they reported, quote, Florida passengers accuse Uber of letting criminals behind the wheel. Um, a woman said this is incomprehensible, really, that something like this can occur. And this is from a South Florida businessman who claims his identity was stolen by an Uber driver. Um, so him and someone else are now suing Uber, blaming the ride-sharing giant of failing to properly screen its drivers, which basically allowed criminals behind the wheel. So according to this lawsuit, um, the driver's history includes serious run-ins with the law that date back more than 20 years, which include multiple arrests and a 2002 felony conviction for drug possession and first-degree robbery. So the issue here, Brian, is how was he able to drive? How was he able to get behind the wheel and, of course, like did this again? We hear about safety concerns all the time. That's what legal rideshare really does. We, we talk to drivers constantly. We talk to passengers um, who find themselves in uh, less than desirable situations in what should be a safe place. Um, we have been talking about for years the importance of safety in rideshare. Um, I have said multiple times that rideshare, if rideshare isn't safe, it isn't viable. Um, we obviously still firmly believe that. Um, so the, the short story is, you know, we don't know whether these allegations are true, but the general concept that rideshare needs to be safe has never been more true. Um, and we need to be fighting for that in every way that we can. And we need the rideshare companies to step up and make sure that their screening processes, their background checks, the companies that they use like Checker are doing everything that they can to cross every T, dot every I to put safe people in the car together. And that, that really goes for both passenger and driver. Right. And, you know, typically, at least recently, you hear a lot about the other side where people are being wrongfully deactivated for, you know, uh, false background checks. But in this case, it's, it's this is pretty clear that if this is true, I mean, it's, it's hard that these companies, especially I think Checker is typically the one that Uber uses that didn't catch this. Um, and I agree with you. It's, it's stuff like this can't slip because as you see, it becomes a real problem for safety, from passengers, for everything. So, Well, and to your point, we're, we're seeing people lose their jobs over nothing. You know, like you said, false background checks or even just kind of minor run-ins, like, you know, just stupid, <laughs> stupid things like, uh, right. you know, something that happened in their youth that was not violent, not, not a safety issue. Um, and then we're seeing the big stuff slip through the cracks. So it's just a testament to the fact that the system isn't working. We want the system to catch dangerous people. We want the system to flag those who can cause harm 
to you know to people in the rideshare car or on the rideshare system. Um, but in the same vein, we need the system to work where it's not punishing people who don't deserve to be punished. So if this uh, structure that we've been operating in for the last decade isn't working and it doesn't really seem like it is, then we need to find a better way to do it. And certainly multi-billion dollar companies like Uber and Lyft um, who pride themselves in being innovators can find ways to do better. And, and frankly, that's just what we're demanding is, is do better. Right, exactly. Do better on both sides. That's it. Um, let's head off into Tuesday here. And this is, we'll see, <laughs> Uber for Teens launches in Atlanta. But is that a good thing? Now, this is from WSB-TV. They reported Uber for Teens now allows parents to arrange a ride for teens ages 13 to 17. Uh, some safety features include pin verification, GPS tracking, and expanded communication for parents and teens. Obviously, um, one senator, John Oss Ossoff, has some serious concerns if this is a good idea. One of his concerns is human trafficking and whether predators might be arranging for a ride for a teenager they meet through apps or online. I just don't see how any of this is going to be a good thing. <laughs> That's just my opinion. I, I think it's a horrible idea. I I just I don't understand what the, the motivation is other than it's a money grab, it, bringing more customers onto the app. I just don't think it's a service that makes sense from a safety perspective. Um, and I, I actually think there's there's hazards for both drivers and passengers. So the you know the young passengers are obviously there's risks. There's predators who may have slipped through the cracks like we saw in the last story. Um, there are um, opportunities to be taken advantage of there are just the inexperience of not knowing how to conduct oneself and when things might get uncomfortable, not knowing exactly what to do if there's an accident or, God forbid, some sort of assault. Um, you know, there's, there's just a million reasons why it's a bad idea uh, for the kids. Um, but then also on the driver's side, a lot of the driver assaults that we see where the drivers are the victims are with younger passengers. We see that the teens are often the ones who are committing the carjackings, who are committing the, the armed robberies. Um, and it's, of course, not exclusive to, to the younger passengers, but that is by far the, the most common age group that we see when we're hearing that drivers are attacked. Kids in that age group are taking, are, you know, are more likely to take more risks. They're more likely to be involved in violent crimes than an older population. Um, so I just, I think that it puts everybody in a bad spot. Um, and there's just no reason to bring the, the driver and the young passenger together. Um, I, I just don't see it. I just, I don't understand it. I don't at all. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more in, in, and it's, you know, we keep seeing for years now, we see these, just like you said, these stories of all of these issues, um, and now you're just adding this extra factor into it. And even on the simple side, you know, if, if once teens, if teens figure out, which I'm sure they will, that, hey, if I just lie and say my passenger was doing or my driver was was drunk or said something to me, I get free rides. I mean, there is there's almost no chance that driver is ever going to get reactivated. I mean, they're just going to deactivate the driver immediately because they're they're going to risk if something did happen to that teen. And so it's just all around. This is just a bad idea. And we're just going to, I'm sure we're going to keep hearing all kinds of crazy stories about it. Yeah. It, you know, I just, I, I wanted to fact check myself. I just looked up 
what ages are most likely to commit crimes? And the University of Texas published a report in 2021 that said most crimes are committed by people ages 15 to 25. There you so go. it's it really is when you're bringing youth into the equation. It, I said it, you know, a couple seconds ago. The kids are obviously at risk for issues. We're we're not uh, we're not blind to that at all. But I'm also concerned about the drivers and putting them in the car with with people who might be, um, you know, more willing or inclined to act foolishly. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, let's head into Wednesday. Another very unfortunate story. This is um, a family of an Uber driver who was shot is seeking uh, justice. Now, this is from K Fox 14. They reported, quote, the family of an El Paso Uber driver was shot in the head, and now they say they'll soon have to decide if they should take him off life support. Uh, his name was Daniel Garcia. He was 52. was shot by his passenger, a 48-year-old Phoebe Copas of Tom, Tom Compkinsville, Kentucky. Um, she said that she shot the Uber driver because she thought he was kidnapping her when she saw an exit sign for uh, Mexico. Um, so the family of the Uber driver believes that the stereotypes about the border and maybe stuff they saw, she saw on social media or TV may have led to her uncle being shot. Um, it's really tragic all around, um, that it, that it got to that point and now we're here. It it really is. It's a, it's a terrible story and it's one that's all too common in, in our community. You know, we've, we've represented families who have lost loved ones. Uh, while driving for Uber and Lyft um, at, you know, the hands of their passengers. Um, And I I think what might be important here is it sounds like the facts of this case are not totally fleshed out. Um, We obviously want safety and rideshare, like we were talking about earlier in in the episode. Um, But I I think this just goes to show that the, the safety features are not sufficient in the Uber and Lyft vehicles. There had to have been a better way to handle this situation. Say the passenger was was truly fearful for her life and she believed she was being kidnapped. Well, why wasn't there a way for her to easily, you know, make the situation a little bit safer? Uh, instantly, um, you know, and discreetly contact the police. Um, you know, th- there's just a million ways in which the the apps can be made better so that people have options to protect themselves that don't involve, you know, pulling the trigger of the gun that they're, you know, that they, for whatever reason, have in their, um, you know, in their bag or whatever. So um, I, I just think that there's a broader conversation to be had about safety features and opportunities to make rideshare safer for drivers and passengers, or maybe we can de-escalate situations before somebody gets shot. Yeah, you know, just like you said, they're still trying to flesh out some of these. The, you know, the details of, of what happened. I mean, I, I hope we hear some sort of update that she did try using the safety features. Cause I agree. I mean, that was the, I can't believe that would be the first thing you think to do. I understand you're alone in a car, you, you panic, but like you said, there's so many other things you could have done first, even if that is where it ended, but you started somewhere else. I, I just, how did it go from zero to a thousand? You know, it's just, it's really, it's unbelievable to me. Right. And Uber and Lyft have taken steps to to improve safety on their apps. They do have uh, like panic buttons and things of that nature. But I think the fact that this woman didn't use the available features either means one, she wasn't aware of them, which is an educational uh, deficiency that you know Uber needs to do a better job of 
educating passengers of features that are available, or she didn't trust the features that were available, meaning that she felt like she had to escalate the situation right away, or three, you know, she tried and they didn't work. So whatever the scenario is, the company failed in this situation to provide necessary or adequate features to protect everybody in the car. Right, exactly. It's definitely one of those things, and hopefully we hear some sort of update from this. I hope something good comes out of this because it's pretty tragic. Um, we're going to head to Thursday, and this is back to the robots. <laughs> Bolt will now be delivering food to your door via robot. This is from CNBC. They reported, quote, the uh, Estonian ride-hailing firm Bolt says it will begin delivering food to people's doors from a fleet of self-driving robots with a partnership from Starship Technologies. So the way it works, just like ordering food online from the app in the typical way, Bolt's Starship partnership will allow users to get their food delivered from robots at the tap of a button. Once the robot arrives at your door, you'll be able to press a button that opens it up and receive your meals or groceries. So they're still rolling these they're still rolling these robots out, Brian. I just can't wait till I see one, to be honest. I, you know, I, I'm intrigued too. It's it's very strange to me that this is the way of the future, but I I, I don't really have much to add other than we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I just I just keep picturing these things getting run over. I just I, I just this is going to be a mess in the beginning. I know likely will you know in ten years it'll just become commonplace probably, but yeah, it's just I just can't get over it. Yeah, the one thing my head goes to sidewalk clutter i i'm hopeful that these things are well controlled and you know aren't running into people uh, on the on the sidewalks and uh, aren't running over people's feet and know how to how to navigate around because it, it could just be mayhem I'm, I'm starting to picture how it was when uh the scooters first started coming into cities and there were no rules it was mayhem everywhere yeah. scooters on every sidewalk uh, parked in places where everybody was tripping and falling over them. So uh, I don't know much about these robots. I don't know how they're programmed, but I'll tell you, I, I hope that they're um, safe and I, I hope that they're um, not just going to create clutter. Yeah. I mean, well, speaking of which, I mean, a good example is so um, yesterday I was at the bus stop downtown and you shouldn't have been doing, you know, it was rush hour traffic. It was like five o'clock and a scooter, I was sitting at the bus stop and luckily I looked, I was about to get up because the bus was coming and a scooter was, had to be doing 20 to 30 miles an hour on the sidewalk. If I had not looked, he would have hit me dead on. And now let's say there's a delivery robot on top of it. I mean, it just, they would have went, we all went flying in the street. Ugh, so, yeah. so it's just, you're right. The clutter is going to be, I think it's going to be a problem. Um, but well, you know, it's not in Chicago yet. So I guess, I guess we just got to wait and see what happens. Um, all right, let's head into Friday here. Um, it's funny that this is a story because Brian and I, you have I, you and I have discussed this many a times. Gig companies say they can't pay workers more. But is it the truth? This is from Slate. They reported, quote, last week, New York finalized a rule setting a minimum pay standard of seventeen ninety six per hour for delivery workers for gig companies like DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Postmates. Uh, the new rule resulted from an extended campaign um, by Los... Deliveristas Unitas, I believe, a fierce organization of delivery workers who brave, you know, traffic, snow, floods, heat, and COVID to bring New Yorkers, you know, your food. So they often, gig companies often complain that that um, they can't afford it. It's going to become you know, catastrophic. 
you know, Uber has even threatened to leave California, Seattle, and Minnesota if they didn't get their way. Uh, but in the end, Uber and friends have been regulated, and as the reporter wrote, the sky didn't fall. Now, what's interesting here is a 2020 report found in the first year, driver pay increased about 9%. Passenger fares rose slightly, but not much more than in Chicago without a pay standard, and passenger wait times declined. And some of the pay increase was absorbed by the app dispatch companies through lower effective commission rates. So surprise, Bryant. They're not, it's not the end of the world to pay someone what they deserve. And it turns out everyone's happy. Surprise, surprise. We have been talking about this forever, that there is more money to go around. The drivers should be paid uh, a, a living wage. And these threats that Ubers and Lyft are going to pick up and you know, pack their bags are, are empty. They don't do it. But for some reason, local government after local government just like it fails to act they they get right up to the finish line in terms of passing uh minimum wage requirements and other restrictions on the rideshare companies then the rideshare companies come in with their big lobbyists and say well if you do this we're out and then they the the, the government's back off so i i really am I love that this article was published because now we can show these local governments exactly what happens when they take measures to protect the workers. And in, in a couple words, what happens is everybody's happier. Um, the, the companies just, these threats are empty and, and the governments need to do what they need to do to, to make their community a better place and make the work uh, feasible and livable for, for um, those who do it. Yeah, exactly. I just, it's so great to see that that this article is published and there's a report backing it. I think that's so important. A lot of times it's sort of a, he said, she said, you know, the gig company's threatening to leave, but then, you know, drivers are saying, hey, we need the money. It's going to benefit all. We're now seeing a legitimate report that says this is the facts. Um, and I think it's just hilarious, too. Just like you said, the lobbyists. I've seen so many of these articles for so many years now where, like, Uber will say something like, well, if you do this, you know, your ride down the street will be $70. And it's like, no, it's not. You know, they, they make these insane assumptions and scare everyone off. Uh, it's just ridiculous. And I'm just happy that, you know, we're seeing this. Yeah, and, and a lot of times they activate the, the passengers. So they'll send emails out to the passengers saying, you need to contact your uh, local politician and tell them not to approve a measure that benefits the gig workers because it's going to affect your ability to afford a ride or even access a ride because we might we might leave town um those are lies and i like you said to see it in on paper that what uber tells its customers when um bills and, and ordinances that that um, would benefit gig workers are being considered um is not true like that's really helpful now we can help spread that information and say don't listen to this propaganda that you're getting here are the facts. Right. And that's just, again, really great. I, I really hope more of these articles come out. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm just kind of, I kind of want to dive into this report and see if I can find out any more info. It's just, it's very good. It's a, it's a win for the drivers and, and hopefully people keep pushing because the, the drivers and gig workers, they absolutely deserve this. Um, so that, that's what I have, Brian. I don't know if you want to wrap up here, give you the last word before we head into the weekend. 
yeah, like we end every week, uh, we just want to wish everybody a happy and safe uh, weekend. Um, God forbid if something happens, if you find yourself in an accident, if you find yourself injured, uh, please call Legal Rideshare or visit our website, LegalRideshare.com. Our attorneys are always uh, standing by ready to offer free consultations, uh, help you collect for any damages that you sustain, whether it's the cost of medical treatment, lost wages, pain and suffering, you name it, um, we're here to fight for you. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brian, as always. And as I like to end this, that is the end of this week in Rideshare. See you next week.